This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots going on right now. I feel like I say that almost every day, but I mean it, you guys. It is a busy time of year, which is fun, right? It's fun to be able to watch a lot of good things on TV right now. Maybe some of you are going to Target Center tonight for Wolves versus Grizzlies. First home playoff game in four years. I know the play-in game was only nine days ago, but I will be there tonight at Target Center gathering stuff for Friday's podcast, gathering stuff to write about Friday as well. So looking forward to that and hope you guys are too. Good should be a good show tomorrow, but a great one today. Got to talk a little bit of Wolves setting up that game. What what are some of the keys to this game as I see them? Is it time to panic about the Twins? Four and eight now after another punchless 2 nothing loss to Kansas City. We'll get into that a little bit. Batting average for the team, the worst in the American League, below the Mendoza line at 198 now, and just not much happening up and down the lineups. So we'll get to that in a little bit. I'm going to answer a bunch of your questions. Uh, some good ones rolled in from listeners uh, on Twitter, so let's let's get to those. Some Gophers news, adding another player, and the Big Ten men's basketball tournament is going to be in Minneapolis each of the next two years. That's pretty cool. So lots to get to there. And also, Trey Lance, NFL quarterback, formerly North Dakota State, from Marshall, Minnesota, the number three pick in last year's draft. He will join the show in just a few minutes as well to talk about the draft, talk about um, some important uh, important contribution he just made to charity, things of that nature. So we'll get to that in a few minutes as well. But first, what did I miss? Well, I don't think this is so much of a what did you miss, but what should we watch? Um, when you're watching the Wolves tonight, what should you be watching for that will be a signal as to whether this is going to go their way or if it's going to go Memphis's way? Huge implications for this game, right? 1-1 in the series after splitting in Memphis. Wolves now essentially have the home court advantage. They, they erased all of Memphis's 82-game body of work with just one game one win. So now basically if the Wolves win three of the next five and three of them are at target center, games three, game four, and game six, if necessary, they will be advancing to the second round to in all likelihood face Golden State. So what what will what will be the keys to tonight's game as I see them? Well, number one is if you've watched this team for any length of time, and even this year as they've gotten better um, you know, finishing 46 and 36 and, and, you know, obviously getting into the playoffs for the first time in four years and the second time in 18 years. Um, I think the biggest thing is they got to they got to stay out of an emotional spiral. Um, and that that goes two different ways. One, they can't let um, the, the result from the other night affect them in this game. I, that that game didn't go their way. Obviously, you know, they lost. In, in a pretty in pretty convincing fashion, one twenty four to ninety six, uh, just a couple nights ago. But they they can't let that game seep into this game. And just you know, just because they lost that game, just because that game was you know a blowout in one direction, that can't affect you at the tip off of tonight's game. Similarly, in the midst of this game, they have to avoid those kind of emotional moments where the game gets away from them. I don't think they did a great job of that in game two. I think they did a pretty good job of that in game one, and you can see the results from that. Chip Scoggins 
Star Tribune columnist has talked about that a lot with me on this podcast and wrote about that in StarTribune.com, Star Tribune. So you should go read that if you haven't. Some more depth on that idea. Just, you know, they take their emotional cues. They're an emotional team, and that works for them sometimes. That works for Anthony Towns sometimes. That works for Patrick Beverly sometimes. But sometimes it also gets them off of their game, gets them into this mode where they're trying to do too much. I think you saw that in Game 2 where players were trying to take it upon themselves. The ball got sticky, like Chris Finch likes to say, and they didn't, uh, you know, the result was a lot of one-on-one, a lot of one-on-one play, a lot of bad shots, a lot of forced misses, and the result followed. Now, I don't know if they'd have won that game even with, with better, you know, better ball movement, better whatever on uh, on Tuesday night because it just didn't seem like it was going their way, but they need to get back to that. They need to keep the emotions in check and use them in a positive direction. On the court, I think they need to adapt to matchups. Memphis threw some different things at them on Tuesday, hit the offensive glass hard. One thing in particular that I'm going to be watching for is how much Steven Adams plays in this game. He is Memphis's starting center. Um, you heard Drew Hill on last week's show talking about how important he's been to this year's team, how you know he he allows John Morant to do a lot of different things, doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily need a lot of offensive touches. Uh, but he's been a liability in this series when he's been on the court. And so he picked up those two quick fouls on uh, in Game 2 and didn't see the court the rest of the time. Played just three minutes in that game, and you saw what happened. Now, maybe maybe that's circumstantial. Maybe he comes back, and this is more of a Steven Adams game, and he plays 25 minutes, and he does the things he does. But you know that's a matchup I'm watching. How much does Steven Adams play? If he doesn't play, how does Carl Anthony Towns then adapt his game to the different matchups that are going to be thrown at him, the kind of more versatile, more athletic uh, forwards and centers that are going to be thrown at him, the kinds of players that maybe give him a little bit more trouble from time to time than someone a, like, a less mobile, big center like Steven Adams. So watch for that matchup in this game as well. The last thing I'm going to be watching for is what is the home crowd energy like. I got a feeling Target Center is going to be off the charts, excited for this game. Can they use that energy in a positive way? Can they use that to get off to a good start? You know, they're 27 and 15 at home this season, including that big win over the Clippers nine days ago. You know, can they keep that going? Can they keep riding that momentum in this game? Can they use their home energy to to their benefit, or you know, or will it become the thing where Memphis gets out to a hot start, the crowd gets quiet, and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of wondering, you know. Are they going to use this as a spark, or is it going to be to their detriment? I tend to think it's going to be to their benefit, but Game 3, like I said, is a has huge implications on both sides. Memphis does not want to go down 2-1, staring at Game 4, also at Target Center. The Wolves would love to get this one, get that momentum back in the series, and really feel like they have a chance to win this and not just be happy to be there. So that's what I'll be watching for from Target Center on Thursday night. Should be a great game. You should be able to watch it even if you are not at Target Center. Like I said, the TV woes that plagued people in uh, Game 2 with NBA TV should be erased for Games 3, 4, and 5. Now they just announced Game 5 uh, in Memphis will be on TNT, and I believe that's also a 6.30 p.m. start. That's uh, next week, so... 3, 4, and 5 are TNT, ESPN, then TNT. So you should be able to watch regardless of whether you have Bally Sports North. As long as you have one of those national channels, you will be able to watch the game. So that's what I'll be watching for, and you should be watching for as well. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. 
and join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy right now, uh, Trey Lance, NFL quarterback. A lot of you familiar with his journey. Um, he's he's on right now. Trey, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm good. Say, I, I saw recently, you know, I want to get to some NFL stuff in a little bit. Big year for you coming up, obviously. But uh, I saw that you recently raised $740,000 in Bitcoin for uh, big buddies of Southwestern Minnesota in the Cash App Bitcoin Quarterback Challenge. Now, I got a few questions about that, but I got to start with, if I would have said that sentence to you, 10 years ago when you were growing up in Marshall, Minnesota, what, what, how funny would you have looked at me? <laughs> I probably would have been asking what Bitcoin was, honestly, 10 years ago, for real. But uh, no, it is crazy. Obviously, a lot has changed, um, and it's happened fast, but uh, I'm in a great spot, and, and like I said, very excited. How did you get involved with uh, with this competition? I watched it. Uh, I watched the clip of it. It was like nine minutes long. I watched it. It's got... You know, you were there with Joe Burrow, some other quarterbacks, you know, just trying to hit some targets and make some money. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. I mean, when, when Cash App had reached out and I had the opportunity to partner with them, uh, I mean, them being just as, as well known as they are and, and how they handle business and just how all the people within Cash App that I got to meet, um, just how they were as great people. Um, it was super exciting for me to be able to partner with them and, and obviously them being, you know, the number one finance app in the country, everything like that, and being able to trade Bitcoin and everything that you can do on Cash App. I mean, it was a no-brainer for me to, to be able to want to partner with them. And then obviously finding out that I'd be able to, to choose a charity and, and have the opportunity to win some money, uh, some Bitcoin uh, for that charity. Again, even even more of a no-brainer for me to want to partner with them. Is that a charity that you've worked with before? I mean, obviously it's, it's you know, something local to, to southwestern Minnesota. Yeah, uh, it's a charity I'm fairly familiar with um, just through family, friends, and family uh, who have worked with it. It's really a mentorship program, um, and, and they do a lot of different things, but major, I guess, in mentorship. Um, and me just knowing how important mentors have been in my life, uh, you know, from the beginning until now, um, even today, the, the people that I've looked up to and continue to look up to, uh, everyone needs, you know, some type of positive influence, some type of positive role model. I mean, no matter how old or young or whatever your situation is, um, I just believe in, in how big of a difference that I can make in someone's life and how big of a difference that, that my mentors and, and my role models have made in my life. Yeah, athletes have, you know, just watching social media, seeing, you know, who's doing what, athletes kind of seem like they are a lot, they're early adopters with crypto. Is that the case for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, just me having been able to, to learn about it and cash up, you know, educated me, honestly, about it a lot. Um, learning about Bitcoin specifically, uh, just how valuable it's been or how valuable it's been uh, and how much, I mean, it's increased, you know, over 250% uh, every every year for the last, like, 10, 11 years. I mean, so just in the fact that it can be inflated, secure, everything like that uh, makes it a lot more appealing to, to people, I guess, in my position, like you mentioned, athletes in general. Um, and with the whole, you know, everything with cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, how much how, how popular it's became. Uh, over the last really year, so uh, I guess in my in my mind, um, makes it even more appealing. Now, did you ask Joe Burrow while you were there for the uh, the secret to getting the Super Bowl in your second year as an NFL quarterback? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I know he was super excited. Uh, obviously, he had a great year, and, and super excited to get to spend some more time with him in the future. Now, I think a lot of my audience is familiar with you know your journey from Marshall, Minnesota, all the all the success you had, obviously. At North Dakota State, you know, shout out to North Dakota. I'm actually a Grand Forks native. Spent the first 18 years of my life there. 
Um, <laughs> now the NFL, you know, a lot of bigger schools obviously re- uh, recruited you, but not as a quarterback. You know, the Gophers being one of them. Fast forward, you know, about five years from when you were really being heavily recruited. And do you think you would have been recruited differently now based on how the quarterback position in the NFL has evolved, even in that short amount of time when people are looking for more of a Trey Lance kind of player now? I mean, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> um, I would, I would hope so and think so that more, maybe more kids in, in my position, but I think there was probably more, a little bit more to it than just, um, you know, the way I play the game. Uh, you know, I went to a small school, number of games played, number of passes done, little things like that. I'm sure had a huge impact on it, but um, honestly, don't think about it a whole lot anymore. Uh, I kind of just, I just believe that everything works out exactly how it's supposed to. Um, so I guess that's uh, the way I'm going to keep on rocking. Well, it worked out for you pretty well. Obviously, we're coming up on the NFL draft next week. It's already been a year since you were chosen number three overall by San Francisco. When you think back on that time, what comes to mind for you? Uh, I was just excited. Uh, you know, kind of got to that point at the draft where I knew I'd have an opportunity to, to get a job, really. Um, I was going to be excited and obviously extremely thankful no matter where I went. Um, thankfully, it worked out exactly you know, how I wanted it to. Um, waking up that morning. Uh, so, yeah, I just feel very blessed and thankful. And now, obviously, uh, the opportunities and everything that comes with it. I mean, being able to, to partner with companies like this, uh, I mean, do events like this, meet other guys like, like Cash App had set up. Uh, I mean, that's just, kind of, I guess, uh, a little bit of bonus to it, uh, to the situation. Yeah, that's great. That's great, man. A couple more things for you quick. You started two games last season. What, what do you feel like you learn as an NFL rookie, you know, especially when you're you know, playing a little bit, but sitting, watching, learning. But, you know, you're on a playoff team that, that had a fair amount of success last year. Yeah, I mean, as a rookie, you, you take it all in, I guess. That was kind of my mindset going into the year and throughout the year. I mean, everything, every single week is new, uh, whether it's, you know, weeks one through through 20. I mean, every single week is, is something new in the season. There's always new things happening, uh, whether it's on the football side, on the business side, or, or like I said, you know, new opportunities like this, um, you know, with great companies like this uh, that just keep coming up. Um, so whatever it is throughout the season, I mean, you just continue to learn. Like you said, uh, I was on a, you know, blessed and, and thankful enough to be on a great team uh, and in a great situation. Uh, so, so just being able to be in this locker room, be around these coaches, these guys, um, part of this organization, I mean, it was something that I was super thankful for and I was super excited to continue to be here. Excuse me. Yeah, and there's a lot of intrigue, obviously, about what's going to happen with the 49ers this year at quarterback. I don't think I can go a day without seeing something new written. What do you know as of now for, you know, as, as far as your future in year two? Just excited to be here, excited to get into a, another year uh, with this organization. What's one thing about you, Trey, that surprises people when they find out about it? Uh, I think I'm probably a little bit more reserved um, than people would think. On, uh, than, I guess that would be it. Now that you've had a chance to experience both, let's finish it up here. What is colder, a winter in Fargo or a summer in San Francisco? <laughs> I went there in Fargo, and it is not close. Summers are beautiful here, despite contrary belief, despite popular belief. you got to come check out the Bay Area. I've been there before. It's beautiful. It's just that people people like to rip on it, but it is awesome. Even in the summertime, it's a, it's a joy, and it's been fun to watch you play and develop. And, uh, Trey, best of luck uh, going forward, all right? Appreciate you. Have a great one. You too. Take care. Good stuff from Trey Lance. Enjoy getting a chance to catch up with him and talk to him. Recorded that a little bit before all the Debo Samuel stuff popped up. I don't think Trey Lance would have had much to say about that anyway, but an interesting situation with the uh, the 49ers and their 
you know, versatile, excellent player, maybe wanting a trade. We will see what comes of that in the future here. Let's move over to baseball for a little while. Talking twins here for a little bit. And, it, it, you know, I don't know what to make of how how soon in a baseball season do you get really worried about a team versus how much do you say, well, it's early um, you know, there's still plenty of time for them to figure things out. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly where I fall on that. What I do know is this. Twins are 4-8 and eight this season. The offense has been the biggest problem by far. They're hitting 198 as a team that is the worst batting average in the American League. That's the third worst average in the major leagues. Uh, the OPS, you know, on base plus slugging is a little bit better because they've hit some home runs. They're 23rd in OPS, but they're just not scoring runs, not in any kind of consistent way. They've had a few different outbursts, but you know, and which is you know making them not so so bad in the overall numbers. They got 40 runs in 12 games, so you know a little over three per game. But you know they've had a couple games with eight. They've had a game with 10 which means they've had a lot of games where they're not getting much of anything at all. And you saw that in the Kansas City series, you know, 4-3 loss on uh, on Tuesday night and 2 to nothing uh, the other day. Now, um, Chris Paddock saying, boys, I need your help, basically wanting them to score some runs. The new pitcher they got from the Padres, he did his job in this game, pitched five innings, two runs. That was just fine, but uh, they're just not hitting right now. So do we do we panic about this game do, do we panic about this team do we panic about this game how much do we say well no the weather's been cold they're, they're going to warm up to a certain degree um they're, they're gonna get better i i do believe they're they're gonna get better they're not going to finish the year hitting 198 I, I guarantee you that you can you know lock that in right now they will they will hit a lot better at certain stretches of the season but also i look at this lineup i look up and down this lineup and it does not inspire a lot of confidence in me right now. I just look at it, and I don't have a whole lot of, oh yeah, I, I believe that player is is going to is going to get a hit. And you, know, you just look at it, and you don't see how it fits together all that well. Um, you know what's what's the what's the game plan here? I, I just I don't know what the you know what the what the real attack plan is you know when you just take one guy like Byron Buxton out of the lineup and again Alex Kirilov out of the lineup but you know especially Buxton he makes the he makes the lineup make so much more sense and if we're being honest this lineup made way more sense when you could stick Nelson Cruz right in the middle of it those last two and a half years when he was doing his thing with this team before they traded him um, you know this team just doesn't have the same offensive firepower that they've had in years past you take a Mitch Garver out of the lineup um, you know that's someone else they're missing you take you know you, you just think about some of the moves they've made the offseason moves um, you take Josh Donaldson out of the lineup like let's let's be honest like they they have taken a step back offensively even if you thought the lineup was better even if you added Carlos Correa who's obviously a very good hitter Gio Urshela is doing fine this year. He's one of the guys that's actually hitting okay. Uh, you know, Gary Sanchez hasn't hit very well in recent years. He's hitting 216 right now. You guys, in the lineup, in the starting lineup on uh, on on Wednesday against Kansas City, Gio Urshela at two finished the finished the day at 257. That was the highest batting average of anybody in the starting lineup. Nobody else was above 222, and one, two, three, four, five guys 
finished the night below 200 who were in the starting lineup. That's just, you can't have that. And again, 12 games, very small sample size. You know, we're less than, we're not even to the one-tenth mark of the season. So again, plenty of time for them to figure out. But 4-8, and eight, you don't want to get so far behind. They wanted to have a, a better start than they did last season when it really derailed their whole year to have such a bad start. And all of a sudden, it's happening again. So I don't think it's quite time to panic, but I also look at this team and I just say, Roster construction doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just doesn't feel like the pieces all fit together. And, you know, I'm, again, willing to be proven wrong, willing to say, okay, if they go 8-4 and four in their next 12, get this thing squared, then you feel a lot better about yourself. But that's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of wondering. That's a lot of wanting. Um, you know, and Rocco Baldelli didn't sound too enthusiastic about the way they're hitting the ball. This was Rocco post-game on Wednesday. It's been tough sledding recently. There have been some days that were better than others this day didn't resemble yesterday when we swung the bats i think really well um we didn't swing the bats well at all and uh we had some pitches to hit um i think our plan that we went into the game with made a lot of sense uh against this guy we didn't execute our plan up and down the lineup and um we threw our heavy right-handed group at the at adam today it's a lineup that's put some runs on the board for us this year um, against some of the other left-handers that we faced. Um, but I don't think we stuck to it very well. I think, uh, you know, we let, you know, probably some thoughts get in our heads and we got we got away from what we were trying to do. And we're trying to see the ball out over the plate and, uh, and do some things. And, you know, I, I can't look up and say that we did what we uh, – we're aspiring to do approach-wise, and we, we just didn't swing the bats very good, period. I mean, it, it's going to be on the hitters. It's going to be on the manager. It's going to be on the hitting coach to, to figure this out. But uh, right now, it is not pretty at all. Let's spend some time now getting into a bunch of listener questions. I asked for these because I felt like it's been a while since I've done some listener questions, and I wanted to kind of run through a bunch of good ones. So let's spend some time now uh, going through these. I like this one from Sam. Does KG make an appearance at Target Center Thursday or Saturday? With Cat saying he spoke with him before Game 1 and Glenn Taylor riding into the sunset, maybe he's ready. That's an interesting question. That would certainly take the lid off of Target Center even more in this game, right? I mean, anytime you can get KG in the building, fans would go absolutely bonkers. That said, I feel like Maybe we're not quite there yet. I have no intel as to whether he's going to be there or not be there. I don't think it's the kind of thing they would announce before the game necessarily. It might just be like a special thing where all of a sudden everybody goes, everybody goes bonkers. But, you know, this, this, the relationship between, between him and the franchise has been damaged over the years. Um, you know, I think Sam alluded to it, the relationship with Glenn Taylor, who I'm always obliged to say also owns the Star Tribune. But that, like, like Sam said, that ownership of the Timberwolves is transitioning now with Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez buying the team. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I had not, I had not thought about the idea of KG being there. Now I'm excited for the prospect of it, even if it's just a wish or, or a notion um, but you know, big picture, they got to figure this out with, with KG and the franchise because he's too valuable. He was too good here for so long for them to continue to have any kind of, you know, grudge with, with each other or to have this not, you know, to have his Jersey not retired here is ridiculous. He's by far 
the best player this franchise has ever had. Maybe one day we'll talk about somebody else having had a bigger impact, having had a bigger career than Kevin Garnett, but it's hard for me to imagine that at this moment. So it would be awfully cool, but Sam, I don't know if it's time just yet. Bill wants to know, have the Wolves, Wild, and Twins discussed breaking up the Bally Sports North monopoly on local sports broadcasts? I don't know if they've had that specific discussion. I do know that there is a lot of frustration on the part of those teams with the way things have gone, with you know the streaming options and things like that. Their audience has been cut down quite a bit. I don't think we have the specific numbers, but I think it's been reported at various times that you know, TV viewership could be down by as much as, you know, a fourth or a third at various points just because people who had Hulu, YouTube TV, Sling, things like that, even Dish Network, have not had access to Bally Sports North. And that's a lot of your customers, a lot of your fan base. So I think they are definitely looking to the time when those contracts are up to either use that as leverage to get to make sure this never happens again or to figure out something else where they are maybe running their own streaming. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know if this is all, you know, frustration in the moment or not, but I do know that right now the teams are not happy with the current situation and uh, they see the impact that it is having on fans. The last question we should get to here is, uh, let's see, I've got to find it here. It is from Disappointed Minnesota Fan. What is most pathetic? Twins, 18 straight playoff losses, Vikings not getting to the Super Bowl since 1977, or the Wild and Wolves never reaching the finals. Ouch, when you put it that way, doesn't sound all that great. I don't know, maybe the collective is the most pathetic part about all that. You know, I I think if I'm going to put a kind of, if I'm going to rank them, I got to say, you know, I would not use, the word pathetic is, is a hard one to use because it's, you know, it, it maybe is a little bit too strong, but I, I think the the most, you know, damaging or the, the most eye-opening one of all of those is that the Twins have lost 18 straight playoff games. Now, the Vikings have gotten close to the Super Bowl since they last went in 1977. I believe they've made what, six NFC title games since since then, or maybe even more um, you know, the last one, obviously, in 2017, then you had 2009, you had 2000, uh, you had 2000, you had 1998, you had 1987, and I think there was one even before that as well. So they've had their chances since then. They just haven't quite gotten there. The Twins have not, not, have not quite gotten there at all in this le- these last 18 playoff games. And obviously, some of those, they were heavy underdogs, like when they were playing the Yankees some of those years things like that, but there have been some of those losses in there that just were inexcusable in the big picture. I can't believe they've lost that many in a row. While the Wolves, you know, their franchises are still relatively young. I mean, not so much anymore. There's over 50 years combined between the two of them now, but, you know, that sometimes those things take time, so I'm, I'm willing to give them a little bit more time. Maybe if we check back in 10 years and for some reason these streaks are still intact, um, there might not be a fan base left anymore if that's the case because people might have just moved on. But at that point, I might be more inclined to say Wolves or Wild is the more you know, surprising or more damaging thing. But that's what I would say. The Twins and those 18 straight playoff losses, a record in professional North American sports. That is my answer. Let's finish with the cooler. Some Gophers basketball news. Big Ten tournaments coming to Target Center in Minneapolis. The women's tournament will be here in 2023. 
the men's and women's tournaments will be here in 2024. That is some pretty cool news for those who love college basketball. Those tournaments you know, starting to rotate a little bit more. Those will be at Target Center, like I said. So that will be an exciting thing to bring to this market in the next couple of years. And maybe by then the Gophers will have teams that are improving a little bit. Not a great year for the Gophers men or the Gophers women in 2021-22 season, but the you know, Gophers men, like I talked with Marcus Fuller uh, the other day on the podcast, you know, had a big transfer come in. Dawson Garcia now just landed another one, another one of those guards we were talking about on Wednesday's show. Talon Cooper uh, transferring from uh, from Moorhead State, averaged 5.9 assists per game last season. Will add a lot of experience to this year's team. Got him from the transfer portal. Uh, you know, top 10 in college basketball in assists last season. You know, 9.1 points, 4.5 rebounds, 5.9 assists. He should help them quite a bit next season. So that's a good get for Ben Johnson and better times ahead for this program. Minnesota United got a 2-0 win over Madison in the third round of the U.S. Open Cup. So they advance in that. Good for the Loons. And the best story of the entire day might have been the story of the parachuters at the Washington Nationals game that caused an evacuation of major buildings in Washington, D.C. I guess they forgot to tell the government what they were up to. Unbelievable. But that's uh, you know believable but unbelievable. It caused an evacuation of the Capitol. Um, yeah, maybe you should tell those folks what you are up to next time. Oh, well, made for a fun story as long as nobody got hurt. That will do it for today. Should have lots of coverage from Target Center Game 3 on Friday's show. Chris Hine should be on the podcast with me in the wee hours of Thursday or the uh, or wee hours of Friday. It might turn out to be for Friday's show. Thanks for joining me here today. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll be back at you again on Friday.